Five, four, three, two, one. From Hotel Tech Report, it's Hotel Tech Insider, a show about the future of hotels and the technology that powers them. Today on the show, we have Balaji Krishnamurthy, who is most recently the Chief Strategy Officer at Sabre. Today, Balaji is on the board of the Cornell School of Hotel Administration. He's previously held executive roles at firms like Orbitz, LinkedIn, and McKinsey & Company. He reported directly to the CEO of Orbitz during the Expedia acquisition, so has a really unique perspective on OTAs and the evolution of third-party suppliers. He also played an integral role in Sabre's development of its emerging markets business. So he has a really, really keen insight into how to grow a technology business overseas and specifically within these markets that are really, really nascent and early in the technology adoption curve. Balaji, I'm really excited for this conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. Jordan, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. It's a pleasure. I'd like to start our conversation today by having you talk a little bit about your career journey and specifically how you got into the world of hotel technology. Absolutely. Uh, so I started my career with uh, General Electric uh, in the you know almost 20 years back, and uh, you know went through a cycle of developing products in the high technology imaging space. And uh, you know those were the days of uh, two-tier client server. And uh, from there, I you know embarked on a consulting management consulting track with PricewaterhouseCoopers and McKinsey, really solving business problems you know around growth, around operations, around technology for the Fortune 1000 company. And uh, the last you know I'd say decade has been really focused around driving commercial growth, scale, product management at some of the leading companies, uh, including LinkedIn in the Valley, Orbitz, which is a big travel OTA, and then most recently, Sabre, which powers uh, travel for most of the you know travel brands in the world. One of the reasons I was so excited for this conversation today is because of the fact that you're not a hotel technology lifer. You've spent time as a management consultant working with Fortune 500 companies. You've spent time in Silicon Valley uh, at LinkedIn. And so I think you really bring this holistic perspective that we don't see every day. Can you talk about some of the differences that you've seen specifically between hotel technology and the broader technology space? My observation is that hospitality tech generally is a laggard. And uh, I've seen this is an industry where hoteliers are more willing to invest in a new building, a fresh coat of paint, or a new carpet versus, you know, getting the latest and greatest technology. So that was the predominant thinking this industry has seen in the last, you know, two decades. But I believe now positive winds of change are on. That's changing. Hoteliers increasingly realize that to compete more effectively, you need better technology. And so it's becoming top of voice in most of the hotel organizations that I've interacted with. I couldn't agree more and think that there's a huge wave and resurgence of technology in mature markets like the US, Europe, and parts of Asia Pacific. But at the same time, emerging markets seem to be lagging behind and you have a ton of experience there. Can you talk about the gap that you're seeing between emerging markets and mature markets based on your experience? So my uh, international experience in travel tech has been you know, largely in China and parts of Asia and also in emerging parts of Africa, which are ripe for travel growth. What I've seen in all these markets, you know, various stages of maturity, various stages of adoption, all these markets tend to be very, very localized, hyper-localized. In terms of the slew of technology solutions you would come across, it could be nothing more than a, you know, paper and pencil to a more sophisticated, elegant cloud-based solution. So you have a whole range. Just to give you a sense, there are about, you know, 1,000 plus 
PMS vendors globally, countless distribution systems, you know, loyalty systems. It's a very, very fragmented marketplace. The big push for technology vendors going into these markets are they need to be very cognizant of uh, three things. I'd say every regional market is different in terms of its needs for the product, in terms of very specific local language support, payment systems. I think that's a very big topic. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And then coupled with that, regulatory, governmental requirements, taxation play a huge role. In markets like China, where you know predominantly Chinese companies have an upper hand relative to non-Chinese companies, there are additional considerations like intellectual property, you know, partnering with a local player to help penetrate the market. The second aspect is price sensitivity. So most of the emerging markets, especially Asia and also to a large extent Africa, where it's emerging in the sense of the word, customers tend to shy away from technology investments because, one, they can't afford it. The economics just doesn't make sense from a, you know, taking a Western commercial model and trying to apply it on these emerging economies. And also, the value equation is very different. So when I look at family-run hotels in Asia or some of the very kind of, you know, fragmented lower-end properties in Africa, they are truly asking the question, what does this do for me? Does it help me expand my distribution footprint? Does it help me improve my operations? So the question around value is very real in these emerging economies. And, you know, the good companies tend to have a very, you know, crisp narrative around that. And then lastly, you know, talent. You cannot hope to, you know, get into these markets without having boots on the ground, hiring your product talent, your service talent, your general management talent. It's really critical to have access to the local talent, the right set of local talent who have global values, but also deeply understand the local markets in terms of the business there, the hospitality business, the technology adoption, you know, working through, you know, various obstacles as you begin to penetrate the marketplace. I 100% agree with you there. And it seems like there's this really immense price sensitivity due to the fact that they really just don't have the economics in their businesses to support investing in technology unless there's a really, really strong case for ROI. At the same time, we're starting to see rates in emerging markets by definition are growing at a faster clip than mature markets. And so do you see a world where these rates will catch up and consequently those types of hotels uh, in some of these areas like Africa and some of the lower GDP areas of Asia will be able to spend on technology the same way that hotels do here in the U.S. and in Europe? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say a rising tide rises all the boats and, you know, travel software would be no different. You know, as the economies continue to grow and there is GDP expansion and overall you start seeing the right value equation for products and services, especially those originating from the Western markets, you can begin to see that catch up in the hospitality tech space as well. For example, you know, when you look at the premium car segment, you know, any of the Benzes, BMWs, Audis, I think they're pretty consistently priced globally. In fact, I think the Asian markets, they're more expensive, but also they uh, cater to the upper segment. But in terms of tech, I think it's somewhat segment agnostic. If you want to compete effectively in today's global marketplace, irrespective of whether in, you're in the top segment, mid segment, or in the long tail, you do need to have that pieces of technology to be able to have your presence felt and then be able to bring customers into the door. So I do definitely see us getting there. 
But I think a lot of things have to happen before that in terms of these technologies really proving the value out. And also one of the you know counter trends I run into these markets, the local players and even even the hotel groups want to own the technology, right? They want it to be captive. What I mean by that is they more often the economics, they find it much cheaper to get a open source or source code of a technology and then have local developers to continue to enhance it and, you know, maintain it for the long run. So that's a trend you'll have to fight where, you know, in the Western markets, uh, there was a point where outsourcing to experts was actually more economical than running it in-house. And I think that's the part where it will take some time to get there. Now, there are some bigger hotel chains that are already seeing that they can keep up with the innovation to compete globally. And so they're beginning to look at third-party technology vendors. But I'm pretty positive that's going to happen over the medium to long run. Right. And so I guess by definition, there's this convergence between emerging and mature markets as those emerging markets experience higher growth rates and start to catch up. Countries like China, India, and Africa, to some extent, have certainly gained ground on some of the more mature markets with higher growth rates in the last five to 10 years. Have you seen uh, buying preferences and tendencies and characteristics change as a result of some of that growth? I would say it's moved from, hey, is this necessary? Explain the value proposition to me to, hey, this is absolutely essential. Now I'm going to find the best combination of features and price that fit my needs. So the narrative has dramatically changed in the emerging market with respect to the necessity of technology. And now it's about the economics and they're looking for the vendors who provide the best economics and the feature trade-off. So it's, it's moved kind of in huge leaps and bounds. And I'll give you an example. During the downturn in 2008, when there was an economic downturn globally, a lot of luxury hotels in far-flung Greece, uh, island, Greek islands, Spain, really didn't have any electronic distribution systems. They largely had on-property PMS systems, which would you know do a lot of the guest-related activities, but uh, their inventory was not available or visible to the global marketplace. That's changing now. The smallest hotel now begins to think about, okay, uh, even before a building is built, they are beginning to think about how am I going to distribute this asset. And that's where a lot of the big box hoteliers, the big brand, are also you know, helping really bring technology as an edge to these uh, independent hoteliers and beginning to offer that as a core value proposition of why they should be in that particular brand, whether it's a hard brand or a soft branding. Definitely. And, and before we really dive into the technology side of things in terms of software that hotels are using, I want to take a step back and, and talk about the technology that both emerging and mature markets use that's exactly the same. And it's the same technology since the 1960s. You played an integral role in the development of Sabre's GDS business in emerging markets. Quite frankly, my understanding and knowledge of the GDS space is, is limited, and I think that's probably the case for some of our audience as well. Can you talk about the history of GDS and, and where we are today and some of the disruptive forces that you see happening there? One of the fascinating things about the GDS is the value of the network itself, where you know travel buyers and travel suppliers all seamlessly connect and they're able to get you know availability pricing rates the dynamicity of the marketplace all in one place and uh, you know the marketplace powers most of the travel today and in the late 90s when the OTAs emerged like Priceline Expedia there was widespread talk of you know GDS uh, becoming irrelevant at that point but guess what all the OTAs needed inventory and uh, to build up these inventory pools 
yep. requires hundreds of millions of dollars of investment and they chose to go the path where the GDS has already curated this marketplace for them. So they go and connect to these GDS APIs. And uh, fast forward 30 years now, GDS has continued to grow stronger and more relevant and it is truly powering the, you know, global travel marketplace. So th there is no signs of the GDS itself slowing. Right. And so the value of those networks is enough in your perspective to keep the GDS from being disrupted. On the other hand, there's definitely talk about the ability of blockchain technology to disrupt GDS and make it more efficient. Do you think some of that talk is overhyped? I'm a huge believer in, you know, the architectural concepts behind blockchain and the value it creates in very, very specific scenarios. But where the technology is at today, uh, I, I look at it as, you know, very similar to experiments which are being done. Uh, maybe in four to five years' time, we could see some, you know, solid use cases emerging. And for a blockchain use case to really work and really to have those viral loops and uh, virtuous cycles of adoption, you need to kind of really satisfy all the players in the ecosystem. Right now, when I look at blockchain, a lot of there's a lot of lack of understanding about it. There is also, for the internet to really take off, you had the web browser as the killer app, and that's what made internet widely accessible to everyone. It's, it's, it's the HTML protocol and the web app or the web browser. That doesn't exist in blockchain today. And will blockchain overtake all of the other travel channels? I don't think so. I, I look at blockchain as one additional channel. And this could be another way of going direct to customer, like for customers who prefer to transact via this channel. But before that happens, a lot of things around reliability, security, and other things have to be really answered for. And in a blockchain, we don't know who's got the responsibility and who's the ultimate actor. You know, off late, we've seen a lot of theft of different types of Bitcoins from different, you know, blockchain exchanges and things like that. So so basically, we are still playing in somewhat of a very, very early territory. Like that said, the technology itself is great, right? I think the encryption, you know, a lot of, you know, good features that it provides will drive new use cases. But I don't see the blockchain as a sole standalone channel trying to overcome the other travel modalities, partly because of the complexity of integrations that have been built, the network that's been built. And this infrastructure that's already been built supports, uh, drive the businesses of, you know, 1.3 trillion travel industry to a large extent. So I don't see that uh, going away overnight. It's really interesting how the power of the network actually has prevented disruption from a technical perspective. Now, one of the biggest changes in GDS has been who's actually using and tapping into that GDS in the last 10, 20 years. And one of the biggest drivers of demand and growth in the GDS space has been coming from the OTAs actually tapping into that inventory. You were obviously reporting directly to the CEO and very senior up at Orbitz during the Expedia acquisition and so really saw things from the inside and things have changed quite a bit since you've left. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the OTA market and specifically how they're behaving with respect to their hotel relationships? Yeah, what I've seen is obviously the last decade has seen significant OTA consolidation. And what was mostly a North America, Europe concept has now become very global. And the OTAs have very successfully kind of uh, integrated their distribution platforms. That's basically the aggregated content from multiple places. And while they've kept kind of the diversity of brands catering to 
very specific B2C markets. The the underlying inventory is a global inventory. It's a global technology platform. And, you know, kudos to them for having pulled it off. And I think there was a bold vision behind it and they executed on it. The 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 surprising thing for me is also uh, the OTAs. Uh, most of the OTAs, you know, over the last two decades, ran like e-commerce companies, right? They la- uh, ran like you know we are selling something, and there's been a drastic shift from there to tailoring very specific user experiences using you know analytics, AI, other technologies. So the user experience and the whole discipline of product management really is kind of now central to. The, you know, the philosophy of a lot of these OTAs were very successful and continue to scale and grow. Surprise for me was how the OTAs, you know, especially for the cost-conscious B2C leisure travelers, tended to become kind of the main storefront for them to go. And so how the loyalty shifted from the brands themselves, the suppliers themselves, to a lot of these OTAs on which, uh, you know, average B2C traveler would go and book travel. So the shift in loyalty where OTAs have become more stronger and, you know, they control most of the indirect distribution. I think that's been kind of a bit of a surprise. Uh, and, you know, we always see a healthy tension between direct and indirect distribution, but uh, but I think ultimately it's like access, the network, the breadth, and the global marketplace, I think, are in uh, plain OTA favor. The other area is, which is very interesting, and I saw this happening while I was at Orbitz, and it kind of went to a different level, you know, in the last, you know, I'd say, five or six years, is how OTAs test and learn, how they begin to tweak, you know, user experiences. Uh, I know OTAs used to run, like, uh, you know, a couple of tens of A-B tests, right, uh, on their websites, figuring out what converts better, what works, what kind of personalized messages work well for what user. And now, you know, the infrastructure has scaled so much where I see OTAs running hundreds of thousands of tests annually, and a lot of them going in parallel, and they're tweaking user experience to such an extent where they are able to really provide that level of conversion and, you know, relevance in terms of content and, uh, you know, user experience to the end consumer. And in terms of surprises, right, I was asking myself, okay, been there, done that, OTAs have done a lot of, like, cool things, you know, what else is there in the industry to do? And, you know, when, when you start to think of it, then you start seeing companies like Hopper and Skyscanner, they're beginning to attempt, you know, this from a different different angle. Skyscanner, you know, is very, very cool search features, you know, makes it easier to, you know, book travel. When you look at Hopper, the ability to use the same GDS data and other forms of data to really predict prices for you, right? And uh, there are a lot of fans of that service where they've actually gotten great, great deals on travel. So the OTA industry continues to innovate and there are new attackers who are constantly coming on doing new things. And I'm, I'm pretty encouraged seeing that in the OTA industry as well. Yeah, there's definitely some exciting developments going on in that space. And when you left Orbitz uh, and went to Sabre, you were focused on the CRS business there, which obviously helps hotels connect yet again into GDS and into the OTAs. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen with regards to CRS platforms, their feature functionality, and how hotels are using them on a day-to-day basis? Great question. Uh... So CRS, uh, when you look at the history of a CRS, a central reservation system, I tend to look at it as a 
Cisco router or switch where you know you had a set of wires coming in, a set of wires uh, going out. And the CRS was a very nifty solution that was invented to deal with the complexity of multiple electronic channels in the hotel industry. You know, airline had its equivalent system. It's called a PSS, which where you can manage multiple channels. And the CRS came, you know, much later than the PSS. Uh, the, the key thing about CRS where it's changed is it's moved from just being a repository of availability rates and inventory to being much more of a dynamic and central role in driving personalized retailing. And that's kind of the evolution that's happened over the last 10 years with increasing relevance of retail-like experiences coming into travel. More so than ever, the CRS has a much central role to play. And here as well, CRS, I would say, has uh, uh, taken some of the power away from the PMS systems. And, you know, PMS systems, the property management systems, long existed even before the CRS systems. They had, you know, there was a you know, single point of truth, so to speak, on availability rates and room inventory. They also ran the operations of the hotel. They ran accounting, reporting systems, the guest experience systems, including loyalty as well. Now, with the CR coming in, that single point of truth is increasingly relegating to the CR and I've seen examples of a lot of PMSs actually, you know, query CR systems to get the latest and greatest in inventory, the single point of truth that I mentioned. And CR is increasingly beginning to be the point of convergence for various other hotel systems like a loyalty system, like a CRM system, you know, guest front-end system to begin to, you know, exchange data freely and also create a uniform guest model where the enterprise or the hotel has the ability to look at that guest model and then be able to act on it and, uh, you know, derive the right insights to drive business performance. So we're definitely seeing a convergence amongst these systems. We have the CRM that has the guest profiles, the PMS that has the reservation data and the CRS that's kind of combining everything and those complex third-party electronic channels. There's one school of thought that believes that all of this is going to converge. And then there's another group that really thinks that there's an opportunity for micro SaaS providers and specialists to really provide the best specialized services possible and have those integrate really well. Where do you sit in that debate? I mean, I could see three, you know, archetypes emerge here. One is kind of a uh, ideal uh, where uh, you start looking at one monolithic system which does everything right so that's kind of the uh, I would say almost kind of your utopian vision of I, I'm just going to buy from one vendor and it's going to run all aspects of my hotel then there is kind of more of a near-term solution which is largely through integrations right which is what the industry has been doing for the last decades uh, They've been building uncomfortable integrations between multiple systems, unstandardized interfaces, not at all open APIs, they have very, very custom integrations, and industries survived doing that. And then what is kind of reality and I'd say more of the medium-term future, future which everyone needs to start thinking about, and that is the more realistic scenario for me, is you would never you know, have one monolithic system, but as you, you know, called out micro-cloud, micro-SaaS providers, uh, specialists and experts coming in, but everyone talk a commonly understood language. Open APIs, which are very clearly documented, ease of integration, easy plug-and-play type of technologies being bought in, adopting some of the industry protocols around data exchange. Uh, I know some of the hotel industry bodies are working around it. So getting that coalition stronger and stronger 
and having a universal data and language exchange will make integrations a lot more easier, simpler, and predictable as well. So right now, a lot of hoteliers have uh, talked about wanting one system, and I think some vendors have attempted to build it as well with uh, you know really not a lot of success. And it's the reason you mentioned, right? I think every aspect of hotel operation, whether it's distribution, it's marketing, or the guest experience, there are a lot of nuances to it. And there's never going to be a place where one size fits all, and every hotel is different. They're trying to differentiate themselves on you know lots of different dimensions and the software vendors need to account for that. And that's where, uh, you know, a healthy, integration-friendly, plug-and-play type of ecosystem is what the industry needs to drive towards. Now, there are some natural places of aggregation or convergence, like you definitely don't need to maintain inventory at multiple places, right? And if that was the old model, that's got to change. And whether it's a PMS or CRS, it's really a decision that the hotel needs to make. And I don't have one side or the other side. But the thing is that they need to align on one area and then make it seamless for other units to connect to it. And I think that's where most of the value can be derived. And, you know, as I reflect on my own experience in the hospitality industry, we have begun to work on this challenge of integration across systems in the industry. But, you know, I'm afraid we are nowhere close to even declaring that we are halfway down the road. I think there's still a ton of work to be done. A lot of the industry players, both vendors and the hotel brands, you know, need to come together and, you know, drive this initiative. Right. And there are some great third-party middleware companies coming out like Impala and Happy that help with some of these problems. And there's certainly a huge technical lift there. But there's also a business challenge uh, around the diffusion of responsibility that comes with having two integrated providers where it's unclear when a connection breaks down who's actually at fault. How do you think that companies can best deal with this based on your experience at LinkedIn and and using other open APIs in different industries? Most, you know, API publishers, generally, you know, if they haven't changed the API for whatever reason and if the service works, you know, as designed, they're less likely to look into it. Uh, If there is a scale change that they make, then they go and do back test with all the systems. Uh, this happens in the payment space as well. When whenever you know you bring on new payments vendors or existing you know payments you know transaction processor changes their API interface, things break downstream, and uh, it's just because somewhere along the way someone assumed something about that API and other things got hard coded or it wasn't truly you know written in the way API should be leveraged. Uh, so it's primarily that it's just the operational complexity of living in an api world uh, is kind of what you know slows down this entire process but i think more and more awareness and also say respect for other vendor systems and ultimately this is going to affect our you know most common uh, you know uh, constituent the customer here and so thinking more customer centric is going to be important and the way you can resolve this is uh, definitely through dialogue and a lot of these industry forums are very helpful as well getting all the right players in the picture Right. Collaboration is always a great way to work through some of these issues, and it's never a silver bullet, so to speak. So I kind of touched on middleware players like Happy before. We're also seeing a large number of specifically PMS companies launch their own marketplaces, taking on this integration challenge by opening up their APIs. Um, And we're seeing a bunch of different approaches here. Is there one approach to the integrations problem that you think is particularly compelling or that you're bullish about? Uh, you know what these middleware vendors are beginning to do is you know take the friction off of 
working with legacy interfaces and they're doing the heavy lift themselves i think definitely moving in the right direction using you know such third party players who are able to get you know plug and play into multiple disparate systems i think the utopian solution is like where everybody could talk seamlessly plug and play i'd say the ultimate example is when you uh, when you have a wall socket and electricity in it and you can plug in your device into any any wall socket and it should work exactly the same right. uh, so that's kind of pretty far away and what these you know innovative new startups are doing is definitely the right way to go uh, in the near term and medium term I 100% agree with you there, and it's really exciting to see the trend accelerate in terms of those integrations and having this be a real issue where not just vendors but hoteliers are starting to take initiative on on this and, and ask more from the vendors, which is great. I want to fast forward to this utopian world where systems integrate seamlessly, data sets are consistent and uniform uh, across any vendor that you're using. And really think about this world of the future. You know, I think one of the most exciting things about the integrations component is its ability to potentially unlock artificial intelligence in a way that hasn't been done before. So hotels notoriously have these massive data sets. They have tons of booking data, guest profiles, pulling in other third-party information uh, like advertising data, but they can't use a lot of it because of this notion that their systems are speaking different languages. So when the integrations problem gets solved, I think artificial intelligence is going to move uh, much more quickly in the industry. What are some of the most exciting opportunities that you see within artificial intelligence today and in, in the future? AI has a lot of potential in the hotel industry as it comes to personalization one and two, automation of a lot of repetitive, routine, back office tasks that are largely manual today and are error prone as well. You know, a night audit is an example of such a task. It's a huge opportunity where a lot of manual effort come, you know, goes in even with, you know, system vendors help and all that. Retailing, huge opportunity, right? The ability to personalize, you know, what you're retailing. And this is especially relevant in the direct to consumer or direct booking, you know, area when they hit your website. Majority of the hotels even today, they just show you the bar rate, the lowest available rate, you know, for that day. And uh, though that continues to be the standard practice, but uh, that's probably not what a consumer is looking for. Uh, and there are different types of consumers. So being able to detect uh, signals around, you know, customer intent and, you know, what kind of experiences the customer is looking for and, uh, you know, deliver that seamlessly, have a high degree of relevance. I'd say more than personalization, are you serving the relevant content to your consumer when they come, you know, shop you, they come book you are you able to provide a 360 degree experience it's not only book but beyond book experiences and i think in a lot of these use cases that's where ai comes into picture the single biggest area i feel ai has huge relevance is in the area of revenue management so revenue management is an area which is always used statistics and other forms of advanced analytics to continue to you know provide the sharpest intuition on price and you know, what should be in each channel and all that. With AI, you begin to, you know, go even more probabilistic and begin to adopt a lot more signals. I think one of the beauties of AI and machine learning algorithms in general is being able to ingest data from sources that's not directly hospitality related. And here you're looking for, uh, you're not looking for a causation, you're looking for correlation and certain types of correlation obviously drive higher yield for you. So I know many companies are uh, working on this currently. You know, I don't know of 
an application or an app that i'd feel comfortable you know saying that this is ready and ready to go the other area is guest recognition technologies and facial recognition is already in play in lot of hotels in china you know that's kind of a big thing It not only helps recognize guests but also recognize you know folks uh, who you don't want in the hotel from a security and safety standpoint but there are incredible privacy considerations right how do you begin to organize around privacy and what are some of the regulations you need to follow so that's the big unsolved puzzle in the industry and it goes beyond the hotel industry so guest recognition through whether it's uh, opening opening doors with you know facial scans or checking in for your room or even opening your rooms with near field devices and mobile devices that's actually a you know interesting area as well where combined with ai as you walk into the room you'll get all your personalized settings whether it's the temperature you know the level of lighting you know other specific services from a service standpoint etc i think where we stand the narrative around ai has uh, definitely been elevated but where i also just to be kind of you know cautious we need to see scale use cases that really create material value what i'm seeing right now is a lot of experimentation and that's really good for the industry but my hope is that in the next 2 to 3 years you'll start seeing mainstream applications that are truly powered by smart algorithms and can create a differentiated value relative to you know what happens today the one trend i've seen with most of the tech players today is they are beginning to think about leveraging uh, some of the smart algorithms in all aspects of their software can we take a particularly archaic piece of doing things could we start applying smart algorithms use the data that we you know uh, uh, get as exhaust in the systems and make more smarter decisions and start guiding users towards you know better outcomes the industry is thinking about it and that's very positive for the industry but i think there is ways to go before ai begins to manifest in very material ways in any of the software stacks we see today i totally agree with you there and we're definitely seeing a renaissance in revenue management as hotels of all sizes are starting to see that there's immediate roi and it's really a no brainer to adopt with some of the power of data analytics and artificial intelligence today And so as with any technology not just artificial intelligence or integrations there's always new risks that come up from a cybersecurity perspective and the hotel industry has been no different we had the Starwood hack and we had Saber had uh, a breach and and it really is as new technology comes out there's kind of new vulnerabilities where do you see the hotel industry and how would you grade the hotel industry from a cybersecurity perspective and what are some of the biggest changes you're seeing happening there taking kind of a broad look at the cyber security landscape in the hospitality hotel lodging industry i think uh, there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way uh, they think about security uh, you know this is an industry which uh, is plagued by significantly high employee turnover the service industry uh, which means you have a lot of new employees coming in coming out and these employees use the company systems uh, to do various aspects of their job and given you know a shifting employee you know workforce uh, it's very very important to take much more of a proactive stance when it comes to cyber security the bad actors out there you know they are very very sophisticated in how they attack different industries different companies uh, hospitality classically has been you know technology light and you know by by corollary has also been you know as a security light and it's been very reactive i would say you know around incidents 
happen and so how do we fix incidents here is where hospitality can take a page out of uh, the fintech industry financial services and uh, how do we start moving into more proactive ways of you know uh, looking for chinks in your cyber security in your defense and how do you take you know more proactive actions uh, you know whether it's like tools like proactive vulnerability monitoring scanning or it's like you know using different security schemes like you know zero trust security or a two factor authentication uh, there are a lot of tried and tested approaches out there which the financial services industry uses to secure their customer data and financial data etc and that is all available to the hospitality industry as well but the big issue in hospitality as you see like economics and the level of investment on technology because typically they tend to have multiple systems and what happens to security at the edges of these systems typically falls on the cio of the hotel this is an area where vendors can help a lot the technology plays by increasing the level of awareness and educating the industry around what does it mean to have a solid cyber security defensive play and also making available a lot of these tools you know which i mentioned to secure different aspects of their enterprise and data so i think both of these teams have to work in tandem and you know just from a lot of the recent security breaches in the last 3 years uh, i think the industry has gotten a lot better uh, at some of the big industry forms i've seen security working groups and the ceos of hotels are beginning to talk to each other the vendors are talking so i think it's a lot better than where it was like 3 4 years back but there is ways to go in terms of applying a lot of these tools and while the strategy is great also you know things get dropped in implementation because securing your enterprise against these attacks requires you know investment it all requires resources efforts so there needs to be a focus on that and there is also uh, how do we make it easier on the hotels right and i think what, that's what the industry is grappling with uh, but i feel like the industry has gotten sufficient awareness of this uh, topic and now everyone's kind of you know trying to look for how do we get better what type of knowledge do we exchange between industry players and what type of you know systems and defenses do we put in how do we get smarter so the dialogue and debate has started and it's getting better but i think there's a lot more to be done if you want to get into best in class similar to a financial services industry yeah it's funny that you actually see the areas where hotels have adapted the fastest or the areas that drive revenue so you look at cybersecurity in in the frame of reference of fraud detection and prevention and PCI compliance and all these areas where hotels are actually seeing profits leaking through their P&Ls where they've started to look first and I think that'll continue to happen as they see some of those other broader opportunities to catch up with the market So we don't have a lot of time left. I wanted to finish by talking about some of the more uh, exciting and innovative companies that are coming up. I know during your time at Sabre you had a lot of exposure to startups uh, as you were working on strategy and corporate development. What are some of the coolest startups and and ideas that you're seeing in the market today and what do you think those opportunities are? The first one is uh, Fevo. Fevo powers a seamless group buying experience. you know for all types of events this could be a live event or a specific event at a hotel uh, they make it easier for people to really come together and make purchases for these events one of the things if you know about group booking is it's uh, very hard for group booking managers 
to get all of their constituents, you know, book rooms at the hotel. And, you know, some things that Fevo has done is very cool. They've done it in the live event space, and now they're coming into hospitality. I, w- I came away very intrigued with the product. The second one is uh, Stay Wonderful. They have some exciting new direct booking technology that's powered by AI, and they're approaching this uh, from a completely different angle. Uh, they are calling this next-gen loyalty. Uh, essentially, what they're doing is they are offering uh, at the direct uh, booking point, whether it's a website or app, they're offering instant gratification rewards using a smart AI engine that pulls rewards from you know hundreds of rewards out there, reward networks out there. They've seen some really cool conversion lifts, and I think consumers would be very open to trying something like this. It also increases the stickiness in terms of that you book and complete the you know booking cycle. So I'm pretty you know excited by that technology as well. And we lastly we spoke about Hopper. Hopper is a perfect example of you know what you can do with data and how you can sharpen the pencil even further and let the end consumer you know really benefit from using AI and machine learning. Yeah, that's super interesting. I actually heard of Stay Wonderful as they won our Hotel Tech Awards in the direct booking category this year, and they're doing some really great things and backed by Highgate Ventures, which obviously has some really incredible portfolio companies like Travel Tripper and is invested in OTA Insight, which is exploding in the market right now. So that is, uh, it's great to hear that, that you're onto that opportunity. Well, Balaji, our time is up here. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today. I know our community is going to benefit greatly from your insights and your experience, and we look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed talking and look forward to next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who am I not gonna flick on smell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who am I not gonna flick on smell? Yeah, yeah.